We do want to take a moment here uh, as we start our service, those of you who join us online, those of you that are here, uh, want to honor our moms. We're very thankful for our moms. This falls on a Sunday and last service, I even, uh, our first service was uh, especially thankful for some of our moms that were back there serving. They serve all the time and they're back there serving our kids' ministry. Can we give them a hand? Those that work so hard. I mean, our very own children's director, Aisha Bellany, who's going to be giving birth in July, is back there running around, taking care of kids and doing a great job. So we love our moms. And we want to thank you. If you are here and you have not gotten a gift, we have a gift for you. Dad or kids, if you didn't get a gift yet, bro, just go. Like, grab a flower. Like, hey, look what I got you. Um, you know, we're, we're here to help you out. We're all about encouraging people. And so uh, we want to encourage you. We want to honor you. And uh, I want to take a moment and just ask, if you are a mother here, an, ex- an expected mother, will you stand to your feet? And we want to honor you. Stay standing. Stay standing, and we want to uh, we want to bless you. I know we have a lot of moms around here with little little kids. They can't say thank you yet, so uh, no pressure, dads. But uh, and then we have some single moms as well, and we want to say we love you. We appreciate you. Everything that you're doing, those of you online as well. Happy Mother's Day. What I want to do is. Uh, if you have a mom next to you, um, if you can, you're going to pray with me. But if you're the husband of one of these moms, I, I mean, if I were you, I would stand up, put my arm around that person or hold their hand while we pray and bless our moms in this moment. I'm just trying to hook you up. I've been married 20 plus years, okay? There's a reason why it works. So I want to help you out. Father, thank you so much for you, God. Thank you, God, for the giving of motherhood, Lord. Lord, the passion of mothers, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for orchestrating the family and filling these mothers with your spirit in order to encourage and give to others, Lord. This day, Lord, will you bring honor to them, God, as we honor them and lift them up and don't take them lightly, but regard them, Lord, their words and their actions as weighty in our life, not fleeting but weighty, giving great attention and encouragement. Lord, I pray that they will sense your spirit. They will sense this day, especially a day of honor and love towards those, our children, our families, our church body, to bless and honor them. Lord, I pray that you let your face shine on them. Lord, lift your face onto them and give them peace, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone sit. Amen. Amen. We love you, moms. We're thankful for you. And uh, we want you to feel the love today. As as my wife said earlier, just give them a nap. That's all you got to do. And that's super helpful. So, uh, but that doesn't have to just be Mother's Day, right? Right? It could be other days. I mean, happy wife, happy life. Okay, that's not the, 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 we are going to talk about blessing today. But Today we are in this series called Hashtag Blessed because we've been defining and letting Jesus define what it means to actually be blessed. And it's not always what we think it means. In fact, we want to go straight to the scripture today in Matthew chapter 5. 
We're going to read through all this, and then I want to backtrack and kind of give us some context to what is going on in Israel at the time that Jesus is teaching this, because context and who he's talking to and what is happening in culture really drives home how powerful these words are. So if you have your Bible, open it up. If you have a phone or iPad, light it up. Otherwise, look at it. I don't care how you read the Bible. Just read the Bible. It's powerful. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read this together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we've been in this scripture and we're reading through all 12 every week for six weeks because we're looking at what Jesus pronounced as blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? We all in this room, I'm sure, want to be blessed. We don't want to be cursed and powered to fail. We want to be empowered to prosper, to succeed, all those kind of things. But remember the imagery we've been given that Jesus gave as a quick recap of what it means to be blessed. It's not necessarily material blessings, that can be a part of it, but in its deepest core, what Jesus is talking about is what other scripture has talked about in what it means to be blessed. We let the Bible interpret the Bible, not give our interpretations based on what we believe. And and the Bible speaks of this blessing really throughout scripture. In Jeremiah specifically, chapter 17, we looked at this last week because in a thousand words, it paints this picture of blessing. We see in Jeremiah 7, blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. And here's the picture that it gives us. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. I don't know about you, but it's helpful for me when I'm trying to define a word is to get some type of word picture. And the scripture uses this a lot. In fact, earlier we read Psalm 1 that talks about something very, very similar. The idea of a tree planted by water is that the blessing is relational. It's not just a blessing that's individualistically in itself. The tree being planted by water, its roots go down and its relationship with the water, its relationship with the dew, with the good soil, with the sun, with the rain, it cannot do it of itself. And so this term is not just a material thing, or a feeling, but it's actually in context of relationship. 
And Jeremiah so aptly says, this blessing is when you trust in the Lord. You make him your trust. Not trusting in yourself, believing in yourself alone. There's a place for that. But in the root of it, the heart of it, the blessing comes from relationship with God. And this idea of blessing, we all need to know what does God think about blessing? How do I be blessed? I want to live a good life. I want to have a good life. I want to have the blessing. And it's always tied to the relationship with God. Thus, we see the other picture that Jeremiah gives us in the next slide, that you're cursed if you trust in yourself or trust in other people. Entrust yourself ultimately. Make the deepest trust of your life those people. And he gives this picture, this word uh, that, that says it's a sh- like a shrub in the desert. And last week we talked about this. This is actually a Hebrew shrub that you see in the desert by the Dead Sea. That in, it, 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 when, you're, when you're hungry and you're looking at the desert, you see this green plant and you get close and it looks like, like a little apple. But on the inside is death, literally poisonous and cobwebs. And so sometimes what we consider a blessing, because it looks green and nice, but you get close enough and it's actually a curse. And he relates this to literally trusting in yourself, cutting the tether that had you tethered to God, separating yourself and trying to do things on your own. That is the cursed life because you were never meant to do life without relationship with God. God came to this earth. Jesus came to this earth to pull back and bring back into reconciliation, our tethered, our, 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 our uh, cut relationship with God, our relationship with man, our relationship within ourself, and our relationship with creation. This is what Jesus came to do, not just to send you to heaven, but in order for you to have a relationship with God and be blessed. We talked a lot about this. Now, what I want to do before we dive into these beatitudes, these blessed statements that Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be blessed. This is how to define blessing. I want to get us into some context again to remind us as we dive into it who Jesus is talking to and what is happening at the time. Uh, if you look in Matthew chapter 5, you see he's speaking to crowds on a mountain. We know there's thousands of people because later he is going to feed all of these thousands of people miraculously. And this is an all-day teaching that Matthew, Mark, Luke, they give us this account of one of Jesus' best sermons, probably the greatest sermon of all, and how he intros it is super helpful to understand the depth of these blessings, knowing the context. So you've got thousands of people following him. How did he get to the point where he could just teach and that many people were there? Well, earlier in the service, Eric mentioned it. He would preach in the synagogues and say, this word is being fulfilled in your midst. And they would, someone would be mad, someone would be happy. He would be casting out demons, healing people. His words, the people would say about Jesus, his teachings are different than the other scribes and Pharisees and teachers. When we go to the synagogue, when we go to our version of community and church, his teaching's different because he teaches us one with authority. There was something so different about Jesus. And we see Matthew, before we get to the Beatitudes and all this stuff happening, kind of paints us some picture of the popularity of Jesus growing, growing, growing. In fact, in Matthew 4, 19 on the screen, 
Jesus is, is walking around the Sea of Galilee, and he sees a couple of brothers, and he calls out to them, and he says, while you're fishing over there, hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. These were fishermen plying their trade at the time, and they have this, as if we just read the Bible without understanding context, they had this random guy go, hey, yo, leave your nets, leave your trade, leave your engineering job, leave your doctor job, leave your whatever job with your dad, like right there in the boat. And like Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan, you know, he jumps out, Lieutenant Dan, and jumps out of the boat and they follow and they want to follow him. And we read that and we go, man, that, that's crazy. But see, at the time, there was this culture that they respected the rabbis. These were the greatest teachers. This would be like, name anyone in your profession that you would just love to sit with and talk with. But even more than that, they had set up this system where a rabbi would, would have disciples, Talmudim is what they're called, and they would have these people, and they weren't just students that wanted to know what he knew. They weren't just follow me and smash that like button, hit and subscribe to my channel. That's not what discipleship was. It was follow me because I believe you can be like me. And the disciples saying, I want to be like you. I don't want to just know what you know. I want to be like you. And so when they jump out of the boat, their father's not going, wait, sons, we're, we got a fish. Their fathers are going, praise the Lord. You just got called by the greatest rabbi of our age. And they're going, oh, he's calling me. See, because back then the rabbis didn't do it that way. In fact, the students would come to a rabbi. They would find someone they want. And they're like, oh, Elon Musk, I want to be like you. And they would sit there at the feet and say, do I have the credentials? Do I have the right? And they would, they would go back and forth to ask questions. And Elon would either say yes or no, but he wouldn't just say it that way. He would either say, yes, you can be like me. I see myself in you. Follow me. That's the words he would use. Or he would say, no, go ply your trade. In other words, go find something else to do. This is not for you. And, and if you got called by a rabbi and you're sitting at his feet, I mean, you go where he goes. You do everything. You want to hear everything that he says because you want to be just like him. This is why when Jesus comes on the scene and he pronounces blessings, people are listening because they're going, what is this rabbi going to say is the way to be blessed by God? I want to be like him. I want to live like him. I want to walk like him and talk like him. This is what's happening in the context. It, I think of this when I was growing up, I played basketball, I played basketball junior high and high school, and I was always short. I mean, it's still short. Uh, this is why we have such a high stage, just little man syndrome makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> but just kidding, it was an accident. But um, I love basketball, I love basketball. Grew up watching basketball, of course, in the Michael Jordan area, and, and Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Um, if you think LeBron's the GOAT, we will have an altar call after service. Um, and we'll pray for you. And uh, some demons only get cast out with prayer and fasting. So, um, but I'm not anti-LeBron. I'm just super pro Michael Jordan. Grew up in that age and loved watching Michael Jordan. And the reason why I'm using this, because I want us to kind of relate. Jesus at the time was the Michael Jordan of rabbis. He was the best. 
So imagine if you're playing basketball and you're a kid because Jesus, his disciples weren't 40 and 50. They were teenagers. Imagine Michael Jordan sees you play and he goes, bro, come follow me. Come live with me. I'm going to teach you my ways. I'm going to teach you my moves. I'm going to give you my time and effort because I believe you can be like me. Now, Michael Jordan would only do that with like Kobe, right? Sorry if you don't like basketball. He's only going to do that with the elite. Jesus flips this on its head and he calls out to a fisherman. You can be like me. There's something about your character. See, because I can teach gifting. Like, I can help you grow in your gifting. Right? It's easier to get a doer to learn something than to activate just a thinker. And he sees these blue-collar workers and something about them, the Lord spoke to him, they can be like you. Here's your disciples. And imagine what that would do to his reputation. It'd be like Michael Jordan just grabbing some rando and saying, come, follow you. You're going to be like me. You're going to walk with me. You're going to talk with me. I'm going to spend my life with you literally 24-7 because I see something in you. These people that are following Jesus, some of them later he would call or they would ask and he would say, yeah, come on in. All you got to do is give up everything. But it's not just about your gifting and your elite stature. And this was so different from every other rabbi. It was literally the, the, the way we did things turned upside down. Because imagine what people would look at Jesus and say, those are your disciples? Really? Those guys? So what it took to be a disciple was so, I mean, this is like the Harvard of education, and yet Jesus flips it because he's looking for something different. It's interesting because the last thing Matthew pins, literally the last sentence in Matthew chapter 28, who wrote this letter, He says this, Jesus says these words, and he pins, and behold, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So one of the first things we see Jesus, we see him doing all these things, and then we see him say, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, I'm going to help you win men, win people over, reconcile them to God, this is the calling, and then listen, they follow him, and at the end, he's crucified, they all leave him, and then he shows up in his resurrected body to some 500 in a moment to all the disciples somewhat separately. And the last words he says is, I'm with you always. This is an amazing rabbi. Because it's not just a teacher that's with me and then I act like him and I do my teaching, but he continues to be with me. Here's the thing though. I was thinking about this because thinking Jesus is the Michael, or Michael Jordan, the goat of rabbis. Anybody watch The Last Dance in 2020, that documentary? If you didn't watch it, it's really worth watching, especially if you're a Michael Jordan fan, because um, uh, he took a lot of things personally. And uh, uh, the thing about having Michael Jordan on your team, right, is it would bring great relief, because you're like, that guy, I'm with that guy. He's on my team. You know you're going to get victory. We just sang it. Jesus, our victory. Now, I'm not saying Michael, Michael uh, Jordan and Jesus are perfect, uh, uh, you know, symmetry. But go with me where I'm going. In this documentary, 
The thing about having Michael Jordan on your team is it would give you great relief. Man, we've got a chance to win. We're going to win. We've got victory. I got Michael Jordan. Like, you're like, I'm, I'm with him. He's with me. We're on a team. We're working out. Here's the other side, though, because there's not just relief if this person is with you. There's also grief. And here's why I, I like this picture that came on the next slide uh, on uh, the documentary the intensity of Michael Jordan. Because he was so elite, in order to be the GOAT, he had high expectations, and he will pull you further than you want to go. Now, relate this to Jesus, because Jesus says God is a God of love. Yes, he's a God of love, but the scripture also says God is holy, and he's just. He's not just love, He's love, but he's also holy. And if he is with you, if he's called you, and all you feel is relief, you're not going to understand how powerful his sermon and these blessed sayings are. Because they will bring you some grief. As I heard one person say, if I'm your mentor, I'm also your tour mentor. I've got to break you down to build you up. I, I want you to feel the love and how amazing Jesus is. But also as you're going in, this is a rabbi with authority speaking, saying, this is how I interpret being blessed. And this isn't the first time that would happen. In fact, we know from history, some 150 years before Jesus, there was another rabbi named Jesus, that they would have known about in Israel and how the rabbi system worked, how the discipleship system worked. And, and there's a whole book, you could Google it right now, called The Wisdom of Ben Sira. The, the son of Ben means Sira, son of Sira. And his name is Jesus, son of Sira. And he pronounced blessings as well. So them hearing Jesus start and pronouncing blessings wouldn't be this new idea. It was like, okay, I want to know, I'm following you, what you say blessing is, how you interpret it, because that's what I want to do. Here, here's, here were his, 150 years before Jesus, and this is his saying, there are nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims, blessed is the man who can rejoice in his children. Oh, I like that one, okay, Mother's Day, Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Oh. Okay, I know some political parties that would agree with that. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue. Okay. G blessed is the one who doesn't serve an inferior. That sounds like our culture. I mean, you're blessed if you don't have to work for some idiot. It's quiet. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Oh, yeah, amen. Blessed is the one who speaks to attentive listeners. I don't know if I'm blessed yet. We'll see. <laughs> Greatest is the one who finds wisdom, and none is superior to him who fears the Lord. These rabbis would come on the scene and pronounce, this is what I see. If you want to follow me and be like me, this is what it means to be blessed. I did all that work. So as we're approaching the scripture, we're ending with, we're just going to hit four verses. The context to understand how powerful this was and that Jesus wasn't playing. And that if we really want to follow Jesus, 
We need to take his words very seriously, not just go, yeah, that's what he thinks. This is what it means from not just a rabbi, but the son of God who would die, who is God, to say, I've got authority. I know what I'm talking about. Here's how to be blessed. Let's go to verse three again. We're going to do three and four really quick because we did it last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's hard not to do all these together, which is why we keep gaining momentum. But the poor in spirit, those who are bankrupt spiritually, but he's also talking to very poor people. They don't have money. They don't, they don't have things. And he's talking to these people. It's both and. And he says, you bring nothing in order to enter the kingdom of God. You're not spiritual elite. You're not a scholar necessarily. You literally go, I have nothing. I'm bankrupt. And you're blessed. That's what makes God happy. And that's what will increase your blessing. And then he says, and we talked about these last week, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I don't have time to go into all of it. But when you recognize you're bankrupt and God lets you enter into his kingdom, It creates a mourning, listen, for the state of yourself that you don't blame others and, like last week we said, for the state of the world, where I'm not just sucked into the blessings of the world, but I cry out. It creates a prayer and fasting, a call that I'm willing to mourn. I don't mourn for those things anymore. I mourn now in order to find comfort from the Lord. And then the two we're going to hit as we end today, just the last few minutes, blessed Jesus says, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's do some work on this word meek. This word meek does not mean weak. We don't use this word often. So if you just read this real quick or you're doing your one-year Bible thing or you come to church and we just say, blessed are the meek, and everybody assumes like they know it. I want to give you a word picture, but before that, here's kind of a general definition. This is a, a meek person has a spirit of submissiveness. Sometimes a more quiet person, they don't put on airs or act with a sense of self-importance. Another word is they're humble. My favorite author, C.S. Lewis, says that humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. So it's not a lack of confidence or I'm no good. That's called false humility. But it's thinking less about yourself. You're thinking more about others. That's the place of humility. And this idea, he says, listen, listen, the world system says you're blessed if you're really strong and you know everything and you have it all together and you've got all the answers. He says, but see, my system And the way God considers blessed is someone who is meek. Now, again, meek is not weak, so let me give you a picture. Because the word picture you get for this word, in the Greek, it's praise is the word, P-R-A-E-I-S. This word picture is a uh, wild horse picture that is being tamed, that is being learning to submit And there's the strength of a wild horse. If you've ever seen a horse that is having to be broken, it is going from strong and gifted and it's wild to being broken by someone in order to be useful for that master. This is the picture of a meek person. You're not weak, but you submit yourself to the rider. And the reason why this is important 
is because if, you're, if you have a horse, you're going out into battle, and that horse could be the fastest, most gifted, young, have all of the great qualities of giftedness, but if it is not broken, if it does not submit, which isn't a bad word, it just means come under, sub, the mission of someone else. If it is not broken, Listen, it's not good for battle because it's going to get out there, a snake, boom, it's gone. You can't control it, and you've got to be able to control it in order to battle or in order to go forward or in order to plant crops. Whatever it is, you need a meek animal is better than the strongest, most gifted animal. Are you seeing parallels here of who he's talking to and what's going on in the culture David would put it this way when he's talking about being humble, Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For you, he's talking about God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. This picture of meek the picture of a broken, submitted animal that works hard, that goes hard, but only according to the master. He says, you're blessed when you're strong and you're able and you submit that to God. He says, those are the kind of people I'm going to give inheritance of the earth to. Those are the kind of people that I'm going to elevate and lift, not our world system. Watch any current documentary of a great business fails and you'll see our world system working. We're going to elevate them, the strong, the proud. Jesus says, I'm elevating the weak, the meek, those who are submissive and yet strong. Paul would put it this way. But Romans chapter 12, live in harmony with one another. I like this. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people or things. And I like these words, give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceits or wise in your own eyes, as the psalmist says. Never overestimate yourself. I like these words, a meek person gives themselves to humble tasks. I mean, what an appropriate thing to talk about moms, you know, when you have little, little kids, like at first it's all cute, right? They, they poop and you're just like, oh, it's so cute. Look at them. They're living, sort of, um, raisins that are living. It looks amazing. And, and then God adds odor into the poop later and you're just like, I don't know about this. Your turn. Your turn. Um, giving ourselves to humble tasks. In fact, if, we, if you don't have this mentality, you will flush down the toilet most of your life. If you're just living for the great tasks and not willing to submit yourself to humble tasks. Listen, this is why this is so brilliant because he's saying, if you can be the type of person that can even do the little humble things in delight of the Lord, you will be very happy. And as we say often in this church, but if you're only living for yourself, you're only gonna be happy on your birthday and Christmas. This blessed life is a beautiful picture of the meek. God, I submit myself to whatever you want. All of me. The next picture, verse 6, blessed are those 
who hunger and thirst for, here's the word, righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This term is a courtroom type term. It's being justified. It's someone in court and having all of the witnesses, all the things thrown at them at the end, the justice, the, 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 the judge either says you're just, you're right, you're in right standing now with society and with the court, and you're free, or you are unjust, you are wrong. Jesus says you're blessed, not just when you're righteous, when you do right things, but when you're in the state and condition of a righteous person. And this only comes from the previous entrance into the kingdom. Being poor in spirit, it builds on each other. Mourning over your own sin and the sin of the world. Not just placating to it or being numb to it. Because then it activates someone who is meek and submissive and willing to do whatever God wants us to do into the world. And one of the things he wants us to do into the world, listen to this, is not just live right and tell the world how to live right, but this word is also a relational term as well. Being in right standing with God and others. Listen, this is so powerful because it, it, it's the opposite in some ways of Jesus ben Sirah, not serving someone inferior to you. Looking at your enemy and your foe and delighting in their demise as a blessing. Jesus flips it and he says, actually, when you enter to the kingdom and you really walk in God's blessing, it will push you, listen, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. God's way of doing things, reconciling both God and man. Why is this important? Because you only hunger and thirst for what you don't have. Now in America, we don't have, we have some hungry for sure and thirsty. But for the most part, we have a lot of food. We don't know what hungry is. When, I, when my, my, my kids are like, oh, I'm starving. I'm like, be quiet. I know real children that starve in other countries, right? We don't like these words because you're not starving. You're going to be okay. But the idea of hunger is I want something I don't have. I desire, I want it so much when you're really hungry or really thirsty, you're not picky as much anymore. You're like, I'll only eat this. You're like, I will eat whatever. And the meek, submissive to God person now has to be in a place of, I hunger. I'll do whatever you want, God, because I want to be right and just in your eyes. I want justice to prevail according to the way you view justice not just the way I view it. And I'm hungry and thirsty for what I do not have. Not only my own personal justice and being in right standing with God, but even my enemies, those outside of me, those I don't like, those that have offended me, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for them to be reconciled back to you and to me. Guys, this is hard. These are the teachings that drive you to your knees because everybody in here can picture someone right now that you're offended with, that you hate, that has hurt you. And Jesus says, 
the best blessing you can have is when they're, you're hungering and thirsting for them to be in right state with God and with you. Jesus will go so far and say, hey, disciples, here's how I want you to pray. Our fathers in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy. That's what that means. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, your kingdom, your will, your way. Submissive, meek, I want your will in your way to come. Your will be done on earth the same way as in heaven. Give me today my daily bread. Like, I'm hungry, but I, I don't want to over. Today, give me my sustenance because I don't want to forget you later, as the psalmist, Psalm 30 would say. Give me today my daily bread. Listen, this is the crazy part, right? And forgive my trespasses as I, in the same way I forgive those whose trespass or sin against me. Oh, Jesus comes on the scene not as just a good teacher, not as just someone we should flippantly, sure, yeah, but as an authority. Here's what I love about Jesus, though. As we said last week, and we're going to get our communion ready to remember him, because it's all about him. Jesus doesn't just say, listen, hey, guys, this is what it means to be blessed. Y'all go figure it out and y'all go do it. Every other rabbi had different blessings because it was only how they could actually really live it out. We serve a God that doesn't ask us to do anything he's not willing to do. Is he poor in spirit? Absolutely. He came himself, it says he emptied himself in Philippians 2. He came bankrupt. Is he? Did he mourn? Yes, woe to you, but also he mourned and he cried to those people that rejected him. He mourned for what people were missing in the relationship with God and the blessing of God. Was he meek? Oh, he said himself, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest for I am meek and of lowly heart. We see his meekness on the cross, you know, thinking of somebody that doesn't think about themselves and humble themselves. He's on a cross knowing he could, with a word, get out of that and kill everybody there with a legion of angels. And he stays on the cross. And you know the words that he says? Forgive them. They don't know what they do. Not woe is me, forgive them. He's thinking of others. He's meek. He's submitting to the Father's will, even though he didn't have to. He wasn't weak, he was strong. He looked at the thief and in his misery brings salvation and ministers to someone else. How many of us in our worst day, I just don't have capacity for anybody right now. And there's some realistic things to that. Jesus is on a cross thinking about others. He looks down at his mom who's weeping while he is unrecognizable and naked and shamed on a cross. And he looks at John, he says, this is your mother. He's thinking about who's gonna take care of my mom. What kind of person is this? Poor in spirit, mourning, 
meek. And lastly, righteous. Listen, you'll never be enough to be able to be approved and just before God, never. I'll never do enough. That's why we need a savior. The one who will take it, the justice of God and the love of God kiss at the cross. And we get to receive it. And all he says, all I want from you is nothing. Like literally, don't bring your religious pride. Don't bring all your good works. Don't bring all your sin. I'm taking care of that. Just bring yourself. This is a God I want to follow. This is a rabbi I want to be like. And Jesus cries out and says, you can be like me. You can be blessed. You can be righteous. And the last scripture, Paul says it so beautifully, 2 Corinthians 5, to the church in regard of righteousness and bringing other people back. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, not your stature, not your, how elite you are, how smart you are, what color you are, what gender you are. We're not, we're not regarding you after the flesh. I look deeper. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is your doing. All this is, he says, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus tethered our relationship back to God that was broken and then sends us out to give the same reconciliation, forgiveness, grace to others. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become, here it is, the righteousness of God. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you want the blessing of God which comes in relationship? And then he pushes you to make your relationships right as well. Father, we thank you for being poor in spirit. We thank you for being rich in love and mercy. Thank you for mourning us enough to care and not being numb to our sin. Thank you, God, for, for being meek and submitting yourself to the Father's will. Thank you, Jesus, for being our righteousness. Let us hunger and thirst God, in our own relationship with you, to trust you and what you've done. God, and to restore offenses and relationship to others. If you're in here with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe there's somebody that comes to mind that you're saying, 
I'm definitely not hungry to forgive them. And yet, the forgiveness of God for you fills you with the strength to do it. Maybe there's some righteousness that needs to be displayed through us doing what Jesus said, and that's blessing even our enemies, not cursing them. Doesn't mean you trust them or give them everything, but letting go. Because Jesus let your sins go. Who am I to hold a grudge against anyone when I'm forgiven from everything I've done? Thank you for your righteous state. Maybe you need to do that right now. It's not easy, but it's the blessed life. It's freedom.